G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Big thank you for listening, and make sure you hit that subscribe button on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. Really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this podcast. And remember, we don't ask for anything in return. Um, well, actually, there would be something that would be good if you could just pop to iTunes or the, the rebranded Apple Podcast um, and uh, Apple Podcast Store and just leave us a review. A five-star review would be would be great. Um, I, we, we put out a, a, a call to all the New Zealand listeners, um, and we know there's some of you out there uh, to, to leave us a review, but but sadly, we, we didn't get one this week. Um, so, so maybe instead, uh, if there's any connection Canadian listeners that could uh, give us a review that that would be that that would be good. Um, they really help with metrics that uh, myself and Brian don't understand, but uh, but they help put us up a, up a tree, um, which uh, which makes it makes these podcasts more accessible to people who are trying to look for them. Um, so it'd be really good if you could do that. So today, uh, so we're going to leave the dogs and cats, which is which is good, um, and uh, um, and we're going to talk to Joe Headley. Joe Headley is one of our lecturers here at the Royal Vet College, and she is going to talk to us today about uh, care of our backyard uh, chickens. So I I, I think um, uh, I suppose what what I envisage is is that it, it's not something necessarily that I, that I I saw uh, a lot when I was in practice, but I know that uh, people are keeping more and more like chickens in in uh, in their homes, even in urban areas, as compared to like previously. Yeah, it's definitely increasing um, and we see a lot around London. I'd say there's two um, types of chicken owners. One are very serious about getting chickens for showing. They've got them from breeders from quite a young age, um, whereas there's the other type that have got them from rescue centres and rescuing um, the ex-farm chickens is really popular now. Um, and they see we see a whole different type of problems with them because they're generally slightly older birds that have spent most of their life egg-laying quite intensively. So that's a whole different set of challenges. Are there, are there any restrictions that you're aware of, like in, in local like governments, about having chickens in urban environments? Or, I mean, from a noise viewpoint, having yeah. cockerels would be an issue. And if you've got over a certain number, normally over 50 chickens, you've got to register them. Um, but just having small numbers of chickens um, doesn't seem to be a problem, as long as you care for them adequately. Yeah, I think. I mean, um, uh, back in Australia, one of my mates has uh, some chickens in his backyard, and and uh, um, it's a, a a constant source of uh, of eggs and and protein. I think that's probably why a lot of people have started to to get into having a couple of chickens just to um, look after the environment by not going to the shops and buying some eggs, but having them at, at home. Maybe clearing up a few of the insects around their back garden as well. It's probably not a bad thing. Um, so you could I, could I ask you, like in in general, um, if we're less experienced in dealing with with uh, um, with chickens, as far as like routine healthcare, like should we be vaccinating these guys and and giving them anti-parasitic drugs for external and internal parasites? So in terms of vaccination, that's not something we're commonly doing. Um, for the ex-farm chickens, a lot of them will have been vaccinated when they were young. So when they come to the new owner, they won't need any top-up ones. Um, to be honest, if they don't get the primary course, then just vaccinating an adult chicken isn't going to be that much use anyway. Um, and for people getting them when they're young, if they're just keeping them isolated in their garden, then they shouldn't be at particular risk of picking up the vaccinate the diseases that you would vaccinate against um, but can, they are available can i ask what what you actually vaccinate for? Um, so there's marek's disease which is a herpes virus um and mycoplasma and some of the 
just other common infectious ones, some of the bacterial infections as well. And mycoplasma, like similar to another species, is in like it sort of exists in the environment anyway, or or the natural reservoirs of it, so they might pick it up just through mother contact with birds. Um, so it's normally through other chickens. Um, it's fairly specific to them, um, but they can carry it. Um, so you might not realise you've got a bird with that. Okay. Um, and uh, as far as uh, antiparasitics? So in terms of antiparasitics, um, there are various wormers available for chickens. Um, there's one main licensed one, a flubendazole, um, which most people will use every three months in their backyard chickens. Um, but to be honest, good hygiene in terms of cleaning out the coop regularly um, and ideally making sure they've got a big area to roam is really important and probably more important than worming them. If possible, I'd get people to bring in um, samples of their faeces and just do worm egg counts rather than constantly worming because most people can't rotate the ground that they're on. And does it does it depend if on what ground that they're on? If it's like you know, imagine an artificial, sorry, an urban environment, so if they might be on artificial turf or more concrete or or just soil, or, or it doesn't really. Yeah, it probably will make a difference with that. So if they're on something that's easy to clean worms probably aren't a problem as long as people are actually cleaning them at least in the adult birds but in the younger um, chickens and that might be more of an issue is it more of an issue as well with the the density of them as in like one or two less likely to be a problem but when you start getting in in higher numbers then that's more of an issue yes definitely um and i think people don't realize they maybe start with one or two and then build up the numbers and they haven't really thought about the farming side of things um and yeah the number of stock you need to have or the number of land you need to have for a certain number of stock Excellent, excellent. So, as far as uh, so common um, presentations, uh, we, we were talking a, a, a little before. So, so as far as like reasons why people will bring their uh, their chicken to um, to uh, to their vet, and I suppose like bite injuries seem to be pretty pretty common, and, and so attributed to, to to foxes. I mean, do, do cats try and get involved with? Uh, mm, not so much, to be honest. It's normally foxes or dogs as well. Um, And I think particularly in London, people underestimate how crafty the foxes are with getting into enclosures um, and also how brave they are. Um, Even if owners are out in the garden with their chickens, um, we've had foxes come up and grab them right in front of the owner. Um, So that's really common um, and they can obviously cause quite severe injuries. Um, But equally, if people get them early enough, they are perfectly treatable. Okay, so what would be your your uh, um, you know, approach to uh, to a, to a chicken that's been bitten by a fox that's obviously um, still alive? So if it's still alive, then uh, the main thing is calming it down to start with. They get so stressed, obviously, with a predator having just trying to kill to kill them essentially um so we give them a bit of time um, to calm down in a quiet dark environment potentially with extra oxygen as well because they're often hyperventilating and open mouth breathing um in the meantime um, we start getting supportive treatment ready um so fluids pain relief antibiotics um and Um, Usually in terms of pain relief, we're using a non-steroidal like meloxicam um, and also butorphanol. Um, Birds have more kappa receptors in terms of their opioid receptors, um, and so that's quite good for acute pain. Um, And then we would use meloxicam and potentially tramadol over the next few days um, because these are obviously pretty painful injuries. Absolutely. Um, In terms of fluids, um, 
even if you're not used to treating chickens, um, you can administer subcutaneous fluids. But if you're feeling a bit braver, um, chickens have a nice big medial metatarsal vein, um, which is nice for placing an IV catheter in. Um, and for the more collapsed chicken, it's quite appropriate to have an IV line um, and start replacing any fluids they might have lost. Would you would you tape in that catheter as a similar way you would with a with a dog or a cat? Yes, that holds pretty well. Yes, um, probably a lot easier than a dog or cat because there's no fur to get in the way. And um, and sort of what uh, gauge um, IV catheter would you tend to think is reasonable to put into an adult chicken? Twenty four to twenty six gauge normally. Um, so yeah they tolerate that pretty well um, we don't necessarily have them ta- actually attached to a whole giving set we might just give boluses of fluids when they first arrive um, because I don't always tolerate being on a giving set that well fair enough a bit, bit um, more roaming um, exactly. and so about antibiotics so do you have a, a go-to antibiotic for, for these type of, of wounds and how it's administered so probably amoxiclav um, and I'd give them an injection to start with, um, normally subcut because it's quite big volumes. Um, chickens or birds generally have a much higher metabolic rate, so it's often 10 times the amount that you would give a dog or cat. Um, so quite a large volume, and then you can move on to the oral tablets. Um, but obviously that's only part of it. Then we want to actually investigate the wounds. Um, and often they can have gone quite deep into the air sacs or other internal organs. So once they're stable enough, then we'll often sedate or anaesthetise them to actually explore a bit more and see how deep, how much we can flush them safely um, and give them a good clean-up. And so with the same approach as any sort of bite wounds, in fact, I think I spoke to, to uh, Zoe last year about you know just a general approach to bite wounds, so that the, the same uh, system to use... Uh, saline or or, uh, or or lactated ringers to to flush them out. Yes, exactly the same. And open up and and see if there's any sort of pockets leading to anywhere. Exactly. Do you, do you take radiographs of uh, of these injuries routinely, or or only if if you suspect that they've gone into a a body cavity or or the neck? I would say just if we suspect they're going deeper, Um, but it's not always clear, Um, especially with some of the puncture wounds. They're often in areas, like you say, over the neck or um, over an air sac. So um, in those cases, we would x-ray just in case. And and do you have to do anything um, specific with uh, backyard chickens to to cover those wounds to stop them from um, bothering them? Um, So they don't normally peck at them too much. We would normally keep them inside um, until they are healed, um, just so that flies, for example, don't bother them. Um, And you might isolate them away from the main flock or just with a fewer number of chickens so they don't start pecking at those wounds. Um, Because if they see wounds or blood on another bird, um, their automatic instinct is to investigate it. Absolutely. And uh, and because of the use of antibiotics, uh, if these are um, uh, hens, as say, still laying, is, is there a holding period that you suggest to, to clients permitting everything goes back to goes back to normal when they start laying again, when they should when they should uh, um, go back to eating or using the eggs? So yes. So if you're using an antibiotic like amoxiclav, um, you're using it under the cascade. So we always advise clients of that and say that therefore the minimum withdrawal period is a week 
after the treatment finishes. But we often say two weeks because it can take about 15 days for an egg to be formed. So you want to make sure the drug residue is completely out of the system. Okay. There are certain drugs um, like enrofloxacin which aren't meant to be used in egg-laying birds at all. Um, so for many reasons we try to stay away from those ones if possible. Is there any particular reason why you would use use uh, a fluoroquinolone in a, in, a, in, a, in a bird or is it just based on culture and sensitivity? Based on culture and sensitivity generally or if we were suspecting an infection like mycoplasma that it would be particularly useful if we thought none of the other antibiotics were going to work but it's not really indicated first line. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, and uh, and how, how long do you... Uh, sorry, the, the meloxicam, does that have a withholding period? No, no, it's all um, in terms of cascade use at least a week for egg laying. Um, OK, mm, thank you very much. So, so uh, I think that would be... So, so, you know, I suppose it's just the, the, the same general approach as you would sort of with a, with a dog and cat and pretty much the same sort of analgesics, I suppose, apart from... Um, the environment in which they they calm down in, in the in the initial assessment. I suppose it's a it's a it's the same sort of a sort of approach. Um, the te- temperatures run a little higher, don't they, compared to dogs and dogs and cats and chickens? Is that... Yeah, they can often be a few degrees higher, but whether you'll get an accurate temperature is <laughs> difficult to know if they're very stressed. Anyway, um, you also instead of a normal thermometer, uh, that might not go deep enough. You may have to have a thermometer probe to go a little bit deeper um, to get a true temperature. Um, so we're not that may not be as useful in them as in a mammal, for example. Okay. Um, so th- thanks for that. So as as far as the the, the next thing I'd like to uh, briefly touch upon or, or talk to you about would be uh, see if the if the birds having difficulty eating or presented for that or sour crop. Do you, do you know why it's called sour crop? Um, I think because the smell of it is quite sour. <laughs> Generally, that would that would make sense. Yeah. So yes, we do see that pretty commonly. Um, owners are quite tuned into this. There's quite a lot on uh, various websites um, about this condition. Um, and most owners are aware that when their chicken eats the food, it goes into the crop, which is just a storage organ, and then um, passes through from that down into the stomach. Um, now, if food sits in the crop for some time, um, then there's no enzymes in there to break it down it just ferments um, and you'll often get an overgrowth of candida um, or similar infections and that's what gives the sour smell um, unfortunately there's quite a few uh, home remedies on the internet out there um, which people like to try first um, i was reading today about how uh, people talk about three mils neat brandy apparently killing candida um, which i'm sure it might but i'm not convinced of the positive effect on the chicken yeah that's it Good point. Maybe there's laws against actually force feeding alcohol into chickens. I think um, they possibly should be. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that uh, that um, some sort of uh, popular uh, soft drink um, that rhymes with Ola might uh, might not be used as, as that as well. It seems to be used for for, for a number of things in the, in the world. Um, is, it, is this sort of diet related, though, Joe? Is it? Is it? it is part of the reason why they get sour crop maybe the what they're actually being fed so it could be diet related or it can be if they're sick for another reason um basically anything that slows down the digestive motility a bit like a rabbit getting gut stasis for any reason um the sour crop can just be a consequence of another problem 
Okay. So how how is the, the well, what is the the best uh, way to to treat this? Um, so ideally, getting a sample of the contents first to find out what it is. Um, normally, as I say, it's an overgrowth of candida, and then you can flush the crop out. Um, so literally with saline, normally under sedation or anaesthetic. Um, and make sure that's all completely clear. Um, and then we use um, nystatin or similar products um, to prevent it building up again. Um, people often use probiotics um, longer term to prevent the problem if we don't quite understand why it started. But obviously you want to find that out um, ideally. And if you're sedating uh, chickens, is it more sort of ketamine-based drugs that you use or alfaxalone? Uh, or? So you can use alfaxalone, you can use ketamine combined with other sedatives um, or just a low level of anaesthetic gas, just not getting them to surgical anaesthesia, uh, just a light anaesthetic or deep sedation. Okay. Okay. Do they do they tolerate uh, a, a a flush in a bit more of an awake sense, or do you find it's easier to do when they're when they're anaesthetized rather than rather than? They will tolerate it awake because they don't have much choice. But I worry about the stress aspect if you need to flush for a prolonged period, um, and also they might potentially aspirate. Um, so if I'm really worried, then I would take them to full anaesthetic levels so I could intubate them and make sure they don't aspirate. Okay, I, I, you can think of, a, of, a, of another uh, podcast on, on the anaesthesia of birds. That's probably uh, um, <clears throat> probably fills fills more time. Um, and uh, and is there a occurrence rate? So with with sour crops, is it hard to get uh, a um, get them into intermission or cure them of of this, or does it tend to be once they once they have this problem and you flush their crop and put them on the appropriate treatment, they're they're, they're fine thereafter. Generally, it's fairly easy cure, easily cured unless it's because they are systemically ill for another reason that you haven't managed to identify. Um, so, no, it's actually one of the easier conditions um, to cure generally. Okay, thanks. Um, and I suppose another, another thing would be uh, maybe like leg, egg um, related issues. So, so, uh, um, so what, what, are the, what are the common sort of egg related issues that, uh, that these, these uh, hens can, can get? So people often report that their hens aren't laying as regularly as they would expect um, or that the eggs are seeming a uh, strange colour or appearance or just without a proper shell. Um, and that's often an early sign that there's a reproductive tract issue. Um, sometimes it's an infection within the reproductive tract. Um, sometimes they may have a retained egg um, or in the worst case scenario, um, they can have egg yolk peritonitis, um, which can result in the whole body cavity um, being filled with fluid um, and that's a major issue often by the time we discover that. So what's your your approach to uh, a, a bird that's sort of presenting with one of one of these one of these problems? Um, well I think clinical uh, thorough clinical exam is one of the most important things um, to see whether you can physically feel a problem within the body cavity. Um, often you can feel an egg within there um, and so then you try and determine from a laying history whether it's got a retained egg or whether it's actually due to lay any time um, or you may notice that the bird seems very bloated and distended and you can feel the fluid build up um, and that's something you can normally sample fairly easily and see if it's looking turbid or egg yolk like in which case you've got a fair idea of what's going on. 
So if you feel that there is neg there and, and you think there might be a, a reason why it hasn't sort of come out in time, do, do you give oxytocin initially and keep them in and give them some fluids or does it, does it sort of depend on the length of time they've had between the last sort of laying event? So it would depend on the length of time, but also oxytocin doesn't work so well in birds, unfortunately. Um, they don't have the same receptors, um, so we would normally uh, manage that more by providing a quiet nesting area, increased energy, pain relief, calcium, um, to encourage them to lay. Um, and then we'd be looking at imaging to see if there is a physical reason that they can't lay um, or what else is going on. Are physical obstructions relatively common in, in birds? Not that common, luckily. Um, the shape of their pelvis is quite wide and designed to lay quite large eggs, um, but sometimes they might have an oversized egg um, if they've had chronic reproductive problems, for example. Thank you. And you said, mentioned before about like the different coloration of, of eggs um, being something that, that people sort of present. So does that does that make you think of certain diseases going going on if the colour of the egg is, is different? So that would just make me think that there is a reproductive tract issue, um, not a specific disease necessarily, um, but definitely some disturbance when the shell is laid down to that bit of the reproductive tract. Okay. And uh, and with the, the, the birds that do actually have like egg peritonitis, I imagine they're mm -hmm. systemically unwell. They're, yes, yeah. they're often presenting with breathing problems. Um, when you examine them, they're actually really quite thin, so their weight will probably seem fine because they're full of fluid, um, but they're weak. They're not eating so well because they just don't have room within the digestive tract. Their whole body cavity is taken up with fluid. Um, so those ones have quite a guarded outlook um, although we do have success with hormone implants anti-inflammatories antibiotics or again if you're feeling really brave actually going for it and spaying them <laughs> well um do you need diathermy for for that um it w might help <laughs> okay <laughs> there's some vague not memories. essential not essential okay but might help um so you, you mentioned with, with that with egg laying that maybe they actually present with respiratory difficulties but that's that that's another um relatively common presentation for people bringing their, their birds their birds in so respiratory illness in in general um do, do you have a a um a, a sort of a, a an approach to to those cases so I guess the first thing is ruling in or out whether it's a true respiratory illness or not because the majority of them have difficulty breathing because of a non-respiratory problem like egg peritonitis um, or potentially a cardiac problem. Um, some of the ex-farm chickens are quite prone to cardiac disease um, and they just present with ascites and people don't realise until it's too late. Um, I'd say that's... That's more common if they're just dyspneic, but if they have discharges from their eyes and nose, if they're sneezing, or if they've got swellings around their head, um, then we see various upper respiratory infections um, or tracheal parasites as well. Um, and so those we can potentially deal with a bit more easily. So would the tracheal parasites be treated if you have like a routine antiparasitic medication or are they, I'd imagine they they would yes okay. yes they should be okay so would you would you would you um so of the respiratory sort of infections that they get it are viral or more common than 
mycoplasma that's more common than bacterial or or is it kind of a a fair spread that it could be i'd say we see both viral and bacterial um, and sometimes aspergillosis or similar ones complicating the situation thank you so So is it worthwhile getting a a sample to try and sort of work out what it is rather than sort of treating um symptomatically or empirically it's great if you can um i guess the problem is viral and mycoplasma you're not going to be able to culture so easily um if at all (laughs) so um often we would start treating empirically and just look at sampling and sending off for mycoplasma pcr or other viral testing um if your empirical treatment doesn't work okay and empirical treatment would that be potentiated moxicillin again um or potentially um like a tetracycline or something similar that might treat mycoplasma. Okay, that's that's good. And and so if you were um, going to so so if you if you're taking a, a blood sample, I imagined for PCR of mycoplasma, um, but can you wash them in a, in a similar way to like dogs and cats, like a bronchiabular lavage? Or so no, you can't do that because their respiratory system is so different. Um, if you wanted a more local sample, we'd do like conjunctival swabs um, or swabs from the nares instead. Okay. And th- and that's representative of what's going on in the respiratory tract. I, it's because it's often the upper respiratory tract that's affected. Um, then yeah, that's probably a better sample. Mm-hmm. Cool. Oh, that's uh, that's very good. Is, is there uh, well, are there are there any other um, common presentations that you think that people should be aware of? At least have not a fear of approaching in the uh, in the backyard chicken that comes into them. Um, I mean, we do see some with various external parasites. You asked before about parasite control, and we mentioned worming. Um, but um, people will get very frustrated with mites and lice on their chickens as well, um, and will often have tried a number of home remedies, again, of varying <laughs> varying uh, quality. Uh, so that uh, is something that generally we can treat quite easily. Um, with ivermectin products or similar Um, but it's really advising people about environmental control again thinking of it as um, more of a farm situation and clearing out the whole enclosure which a pet owner may not be quite so used to um, how thorough they have to be yeah i suppose you know imagine the same thing with uh dogs and fleas right you need to the environment needs to be controlled rather than just sort of treating the the animal exactly Absolutely, I think I think the, the, maybe the part of the problem with the uh, external parasites on birds is uh, is they look quite frightening. I think I, uh, uh, it's definitely something that scares me about pigeons. Um, maybe I share too much. So, uh, um, so yeah. Well, well, thank you very much for our uh, our discussion about uh, how to how to approach a backyard um, chicken. Um, I know that uh, you'd probably prefer to talk about reptiles, so uh, so at least that gives me a segue to uh, asking you to come come back and uh, and talk to us about uh, um, about something to do with with reptiles in in the future. So thank you very much Joe, for your for your time. Thank you. So thank everyone for for listening and uh, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button and uh, that way you don't even have to worry about missing a podcast. Remember to leave us a five-star review and that's a heads up to uh, the Canadians out there. Um, That that would be great um, for for maybe for this week, the challenge day down. Sadly, the the Kiwis couldn't come to the party and uh, uh, and leave us for review, but maybe they will. Um, Who knows? So don't forget to tell your friends um, and we'll place a a few notes on the RVC pages. So if you just type in RVC Clinical Podcast into your 
the search engine, it should be top of the tree. So if you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please get in touch. So you can either email me at dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk or tweet at Don Barfield. Until next time, bye-bye.